Hi there, hi there, your buddy the humble farmer here. Thank you for listening. I've been reading a wonderful book on how to look, feel, and think younger every day. I got it from a man who just died. Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. On the Humble Farmer, thank you for listening. I recently wrote something on my Facebook page about a man who killed his brother with the jawbone of an ass. 
That sound familiar to you? It's the kind of comment I make just to see if I can flush out some supercilious pedant who will tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And you know very well that I at least make an effort to consult original sources before I say or write anything supercilious pedant that I am. Anyway, I found a web page that pointed out that artists who illustrated the scripture painted scenes that have misled us for generations. As you well know, we're talking about the book of Genesis here, and in the English version that I read, <clears throat> having mislaid my Gothic copy, there was no mention of the instrument Cain employed to dispatch his brother. But in the several paintings I was able to Google up, he seemed to be holding a long bone with teeth in it. I guess what I'm saying here is, well, it's something that teachers have known for a long time. People are more likely to remember something they have seen with their own eyes than something that they have read or have been told.
Ghana. Ghana here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. A letter about neurolinguistics from my old friend from Gorham Normal School, Tom Denon, reminds me that when I was in school and reading neurolinguistics and psycholinguistics, I launched another branch of scientific investigation that I called glandular linguistics. I actually started to write an advice column under the pseudonym of Anne Glanders. Because I never throw anything away, I've written, my wife will someday burn or throw away all of these great advice columns when she cleans out my boxes in the barn. I vaguely, you might like this, I vaguely remember one letter from a young newlywed who asked how she could keep her husband from running off to play chess with his buddies every night. Well, after a paragraph of puns and convoluted wordplay, I advised the young chess widow to check her stale mate. Or something like that. It was over 40 years ago. Don't expect me to remember it. I wish I, I, wish I could remember all of it. Because I know you'd enjoy it. If you're interested... If you're really interested in curiosities, perhaps you should plan to attend when my wife auctions off my estate.
<laughs> My word. Django here on the Humble Farmer, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you for listening. I am the Humble Farmer at gmail.com, no matter what anybody tells you otherwise. And now... If you're ready, we will turn our attention to Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books. You know that, as a speaker still trying to learn, I often focus my scholarly lens on TV preachers. One morning not long ago, it was a man named David who put Elma Gantry to shame while addressing an auditorium packed to the rafters. wasn't an empty seat in the house. Any speaker who loves his work might well kill his own brother with the jawbone of an ass for such a sober, pliant audience. And of course, to give Elma credit, the psychology of milk in a crowd has come a long way in the past 86 years. Of course, one could not Observe David too long before Elmer Gantry would come to mind because the message was the futility of accumulating wealth without sharing it with a higher power by way of his corporeal messengers. It is only by reaching the hearts and souls of men that you can get your hand on their wallet. So, the final pitch in any TV sermon is always of great interest to me. And unfortunately, I missed it because Marsha returned from her morning shower, so I, I shut off the sound. After which I did see a book advertised, 31 Days to Happiness. I saw it on a silent screen. If you check out David's webpage, as I did afterwards, you might want to buy any of the $264 or so worth of products advertised there, including the coming economic Armageddon CD album. And I guess he'll certainly be ready for this economic Armageddon because, <laughs> well, with a national television audience and a packed auditorium every week, can you imagine the amount of income that web page generates? and the number of air-conditioned dog houses it would buy? Every time I watch one of these programs, I say to myself, Why, oh why, Robert, didn't you get into the preaching business? They think it's great to refrigerate. 
I'll be all cremated down here. Just be like those bamboo babies in the South Sea tropic zones. Take no sin, take off the skin and dance around in your bones. When you're calling up your sweetie in those hot house telephones, take no sin to take off the skin and dance around in your bones. When you're on a crowded dance floor near those red hot saxophones, oh, take no sin to take off the skin and dance around in your bones. Take a look at the girls when they're dancing. Notice the way they're dressed. They wear silken clothes without any holes, and nobody knows the rest. No more singing in the bathtub with those television phones. Take no sin to take off the skin and dance around in your bones. is the last word to that song. A friend of mine, a very good friend of mine from 60 years ago, a very good friend of mine who now lives in Brazil, <laughs> sent me a speech that I think was read before their legislature and has since been widely distributed through, throughout Brazil. In every country I've ever read about since history began, there has been a struggle between the haves and the have-nots. The number one question in any society is, who gets the money? Which is, of course, why there are at least two political parties. One speaks for the best interests of the workers, and one represents the very rich. But because I know nothing of the have and have not political parties in Brazil, I was unable to determine, just by reading the speech, which side the speaker was on. Perhaps you've noticed that although only one party is telling the truth, both sides blame the other for each and every financial or social ill. So, I realized that for the first time in years... I was able to identify with Americans who can hear a speech 
and not have the slightest idea of where the speaker was coming from. If they like the speaker, or if they've been told by their friends that the speaker is telling the truth, they're likely to take his or her words at face value without reading up on the actual facts. So, I now realize that it takes a lot of study, perhaps even some extended time in residence, before one can have the least idea of what is going on in any country. The sad thing here, there, and everywhere is that there are many citizens who might live in a country their entire lives and still vote against their own economic interests in every election.
here on the Humble Farmer radio program, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I am the Humble Farmer, the Humble Farmer at gmail.com. The other morning, it was good to see more than a little name-calling in my local newspaper's news blog. I read that blog every day, and I'm always glad to see name-calling. As you know, name-calling is a strong indicator that the speaker really doesn't have much of a grasp on the facts and hopes to reduce others to calling her names in return. Can you think of any other tactic that would better obfuscate any issue? Your mother has a mustache. Yeah, yeah, not as long as yours, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that sometimes it's obvious that name callers have nothing more in mind than calling attention to themselves? Hey, notice me, you blankety-blanks. If you don't read your local newspaper's blog every morning, you are missing out on some good reading and valuable insights. Listen, did you know this? There's a whole class of people out there that you probably didn't know exists. Don't you think that name-calling is informative? Doesn't it really let you know that the speaker is short on facts and has no other argument?
Count Basie was jumping at the woodside. Long before sunrise, I pressed my wife Marsha, the almost perfect woman, with my manly arms. She whispered, I hope you're going to be sociable today. Well, she, she probably actually shouted, but I didn't have my hearing aids in. For the first time in many months, we were expecting visitors, and at 5.30 in the morning, my wife was already worrying about my conduct. <laughs> if you can believe that. At 5.30 in the morning, my wife was already worrying about my conduct eight or so, so hours away. She said, I hope you're not going to just sit in a stupor. Many people dislike interruptions in their daily routines. Marsha, being a type A person who plans weeks ahead, had seemingly forgotten that I welcome all diversions. You might remember hearing me say that on one delightful day last summer, Nineteen different parties dropped in, unannounced, each with his or her own agenda. It was a great day for a man who thinks he has the ability to regale guests with wry anecdotes while building a solar hot water heater or replacing the shingles on the back of his house. Because I can't even eat or sit on the throne without a book in my hand for mental stimulation. You can see why guests are always welcome. There's always something new and exciting here on the farm for those extra hands. Some have the pleasure of being my studio audience while I make a radio program. Many have helped me pick up fallen apples to feed to the cow friends. The elite, only the elite, are invited into the pasture where we collect manure in five-gallon buckets, you know, to facilitate my next guardian. You might not believe this, but some visitors are so overwhelmed by my hospitality that they have been known to suddenly remember other urgent appointments and have torn themselves away. So, Marsha's morning Reminder brightened what, for me, would have otherwise been a ordinary humdum, humdrum type of day, you know. For two weeks I'd put off sand in and paint in my bicycle.
<laughs> what a thing Django was. What fun it must have been to play with him, huh? Pushing, pushing. Do it chunk, 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 chunk. He's all over the keyboard there. Whatever you call it. A guitar keyboard. If you want to tell me, I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com. You might have noticed this. More and more Knox County women in their mid-40s are dating men in their early 20s. <laughs> Professor Glean, a local sociologist, considers this to be a most unusual and unhealthy phenomenon and is hoping to discover what these two groups can possibly have in common. Glean says... You would think that a 45-year-old woman would seek out a 60-year-old man who could satisfy her intellectual needs. Yet, we see many of these women, accompanied by no more than children, out on the town six and seven nights a week. One would think that a woman over 40 would know that you can't Trust a man until hair grows in his ears. Whatever do they find to talk about? What is it about these young men that old, older women find so attractive?
Scott Hamilton here on The Humble Farmer, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite station. Please mark it in case you are catching this show for the first time and do want to hear it again. Make a note. Thank you. I am the humble farmer at gmail.com and please, please think carefully about what I'm about to say. If it wasn't for the comments posted in your Facebook, you'd never know which of your friends drank in the morning. One of my favorite poems by Oliver Wendell Holmes contains the line, I only ask that fortune send a little more than I shall spend. And it's true, isn't it? No, no matter how much we have, isn't it human nature to want more? I have 14 or so Model T Ford engines, but one day someone asked me if I'd like two more, because I couldn't say no. Drive down the road in any town or village and you will see row after row of storage sheds where people proudly pile possessions. 
little alliteration there, like you hear in Beowulf. People proudly pile possessions that they obviously don't need. For years I coveted my next-door neighbor's old green garage. It sagged on both sides, and I knew that someday soon he'd tear it down and build a new one. Before that happened, I planned to sidle over there and offer him a couple of hundred bucks for it and drag it home behind my tractor. Wonderful building. But I went away for a day, and when I came home, I discovered he'd burned it down. A couple of hundred? If he'd said to me, Robert, I love that building, but I'll let it go for four. I would have given him as much as four hundred dollars for that great storage building. What my neighbor did was tantamount to putting a match to forty ten-dollar bills. Remember that no matter how wretched something looks to you, one of your neighbors probably wants it. And you might want to keep this in mind if your wife suddenly takes an interest in bowling three times a week.
Ghana. Here on the Humble Farmer Program. Just about time to get out of here. Time for one more bit by Django. Thank you for listening. With any luck at all, I hope to be back here next week, same time here on your favorite station. I'm the Humble Farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Oh, did you see that South African runner, Oscar Pistorius, on TV the other morning? In spite of all his troubles, he still seems to have quite a bit of spring in his walk. Uh, 